0: Thank you for supporting the Ministry of Victory Outreach International. We pray this message challenges, ignites faith, and that God would fan the flame that will produce a harvest of souls throughout the world. And we're in Chapter 1 of the Book of Acts. And last time that we were together, we didn't finish the chapter. we're looking to finish chapter 1 this morning. And then next week, we're ready to launch into, get into chapter 2 of the book of Acts, the birth of the church. And I'm going to ask you this morning to be sure to give me your undivided attention. Let's minimize. We don't mind traveling evangelists, but we don't like traveling congregations. So we want you to stay put, be still. So that no one is distracted from hearing and receiving God's word. Amen. Okay, at this time, uh, you have your Bibles open, and we're going to be reading Acts chapter one. And by the way, uh, you should have received one of these here. It's an outline, and later on, you pull out your outline. Once you're seated, put out, pull out your outline, and this way you could follow with me with the notes that we have given you. We're giving you an outline. You could go ahead and fill in the divisions that have been given because these are the divisions that I'm basing my lesson on this morning okay chapter 1 beginning in verse 12 then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet or the mount of Olives which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day journey and when they were come in they went up into the upper room uh, where both both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zealot and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of, of the names together were about 120. Men and brethren, this scripture must need have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spoke before concerning Judas, which was a guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst. And his, o- and, all, and his bowels gushed out, and it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch that the field was called Al-Kadamah, uh, that is today the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. Wherefore, are these men which have companied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, Beginning from the baptism of John, and unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two. Joseph called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knoweth the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell that he may go to his own place and they gave forth their lots and the lot fell upon Matthias and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. Father we come once again in the name of your precious son Jesus. I pray that you will give me the anointing to be able to proclaim your word and also anoint the minds and the ears of, your, of the listeners. Let the word find lodging not only in their minds but also in their hearts. Let your word transform us. Let your word have an effect upon our lives, I pray this morning. And Lord, be with us through your Holy Spirit that you will move upon us and, and quicken us and touch us and move upon us so that we will not walk out the same, but that we will be lifted up into your divine presence. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now i like for you to take, it's a blue... You should receive. You should have received this in your bulletin and pull out the blue paper that you have in your bulletin. And here you have the outline of the message that I'm speaking this morning. In fact, you have three divisions, or three points that we're bringing out this morning. The title of the message, and is a continuation from last week. The title of the message is The Replacement of Judas the Traitor. Imagine what a name. Judas the Traitor. When we think about the name Judas, we think The word traitor, he was a traitor, he betrayed Jesus. And we are going to be looking at it in three ways. We already went over the first division, which was the submission of the disciple. And then secondly, we were dealing with the suicide of the disciple. And then thirdly, the selection of the disciple. Now we touched upon, we dealt with the first division last week. We also touched on the second division. We dealt with the suicide of the disciples, but we didn't finish. And we didn't really touch on the selection of the disciple. and we're going to be dealing with that this morning. Amen? So I'd like to have your undivided attention follow along as we study this section that we have and the verses that we read this morning. Amen. Now, the last time that we were together, we spoke about how they were obedient to the command. They, were sub- they, were, they submitted themselves as disciples to the command that Jesus gave them to go to Jerusalem and wait. And you notice in verse 12, it says, Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day journey. We mentioned the last time we were together, last Sunday, of how these disciples were submitted. And they were obedient to the command that Jesus gave them, go to Jerusalem and wait. Now God already had the proper men. He had chosen these men. He gave them a proper message. He said, this is the message that I want you to give. So he had the men... He had the message, but they were still lacking something in their lives. They were lacking the power of the Holy Ghost. And you know, in this morning, we could have the message, and we could even be called of God, but for us to be able to be effective in doing anything for God, we can't do it in the energy of the flesh. We need the power of the Holy Spirit working through our lives. So he tells the disciples, he says to them, go back to Jerusalem and go into the upper room and wait. Stay there and wait. Now I mentioned last week that it wasn't something that was attractive uh, for the disciples because he was sending them somewhere where it was dangerous. There was a lot of people that were totally anti-Christ and anti-disciples of Christ. So it wasn't a a very favorable place. It was a very dangerous place. But nevertheless, God had a purpose, and God says, I want you to go. We also mentioned last week that they were up in the Mount Olives, the, the Mount called Olive, Mount Olive. And that's where he ascended up into the very presence of the Father. And from Mount Olive to Jerusalem... Into Jerusalem was a Sabbath day journey. Now when you read in in verse 12, Sabbath day journey, you say, what's that? Well, it actually means a Sabbath day journey in the Old Testament. It actually means a little over half a mile. So he was telling them, I want you to journey a little over half a mile and go into Jerusalem, go into the upper room and just wait there. And for those of you that have been to Jerusalem, I've been to Jerusalem before, I've been to Israel, I've been on the Mount of Olives, and from the Mount of Olives you can see the the eastern wall, and this is probably where they went right in, and they went right into the entrance of it, and they they went right into the upper room to wait there until they would receive the promise of the Father. So a Sabbath day journey then was a little over half a mile. Now, when they came up into the upper room, it says in verse 13, when they were come in, they went up into an upper room and were about both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas, the son of James. Now, it brings out the 11 apostles, were up there in the upper room. There was one missing. You know who that one was, the one that was missing? Judas was the one that was missing. But there was 11 of them that were up in the upper room. But it wasn't only the 11 that were in the upper room that were actually waiting, but also it tells us, and it says, and these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication and then it also adds to that Listen, it says the women isn't it nice women that it says the women was it wasn't only men the women and mary the mother of jesus with his brethren so we have there we have a company of people that were actually waiting in the upper room we have uh, mary the mother of jesus she was also waiting for the promise of the Father. We have also, uh, we have uh, not only the disciples, but we also have the other women as well. And I could imagine, I mentioned some of the ones that I could imagine were were probably there. Mary and and Martha were there. I could imagine Mary Magdalene, that used to be a, a harlot and a prostitute. She was also there. And then it tells us also his brothers, or the brothers of Jesus, his brethren, And his brothers before the resurrection, they didn't have an experience with Christ. They didn't believe in him. They were unbelievers. But right after the resurrection, you notice that after the resurrection, he appeared to James, his brother. And when he appeared to James, his brother James became a believer. And somehow, his brother James also, with Mary, the mother of Jesus, they must have influenced the other family members and the brothers, and and they also... Got saved, and they came up, and they were also waiting up. they became believers, and they were waiting up in the upper room. Now, the Bible also tells us that there were a, a number of a 120 people that were waiting up there in the upper room, not only the ones that I have mentioned, but other people as well. And I start imagining in my mind, I say, well, who could be there? I wonder what company of people were there? Well I start thinking, I say, well, probably Nicodemus, he must have been there. And you had a whole company of people. You had businessmen. Joseph of Arimathea Ad- was also there. You had people that were prosperous financially. People that were educated. People that were also poor people. You had a combination of all kinds of people from all different backgrounds that were there in the upper room, and they were there for a purpose. They were waiting for the promise of the Father that He was going to send the Holy Ghost. Now, in that upper room, I could imagine, you know, there must have been, in the beginning, there must have been some conflict. And I also think for a moment, and I say, There were 500, I believe, that were 500 that were actually witnessing the ascension of Jesus when he went. It says there was a crowd of about 500 people that witnessed it, or that that were there and witnessed the ascension. And all of a sudden we have 120 that it tells us were in the upper room. But what happened to the rest? It possibly could be that maybe more people came, but after a while they began to get impatient. How many know that sometimes Christians are very impatient? I want my blessing. I want it now. See? Now, now, now. I just like little kids, you know. I want it now, you know. The more immature you are, the more of a quick fix you want for everything. You, know, you look at God as a quick fix for everything, and you want your blessing now. You want God to speak now. You want God to move now. And how many know that God always moves not according to our whims and according to our desires, but God moves according to his very own pace. So maybe it just could be, possibly, that some other people were there and they say, right, this, this promise of the Father ain't coming anyhow, man. I've been waiting here and it's not coming, so I'm leaving. And maybe there was a sifting that took place and some of the people left And then it tells us here that there was a hundred and twenty people because it tells us that they were in one accord. I don't believe for a moment that as soon as they walked into that upper room, they were in one accord. Every person is a different world, you know, and especially with us. You know, they were human just like us with us. Have you ever seen a church yet? That's a hundred percent in one accord you got all kinds of characters in it in fact even here this morning we've got all kinds of characters here this morning we've got all kinds of personalities there are those that like to criticize and you know criticize everything there are those that are constantly depressed you know there are those that are maybe uppity up there are others that come from a whole different background and you've got some guys that used to be killers out there the and look over here see some of these guys that. Big moustaches that possibly you would never even associate with them in the world. Some of you, some of the people, especially those that were squares, you never associate with some of those guys in the world, you know. You would see them out in a a dark alley and run from them, you know. You wouldn't even invite them for dinner in your house. But all of a sudden, what's happened? We're all here together, under one roof. We have something in common, and what we have in common is Jesus Christ. But nevertheless, even having Jesus, sometimes there's this unity, and there's differences of opinion. And people come from different backgrounds. So over here, somehow in the very beginning, you notice what they started doing? They started pressing in, and they were getting in prayer and supplication. He told them, I want you to go there and wait. Now, they didn't just go and sit down and say, okay, we're going to wait and look at each other. But they went in and they started to pray. They start having a prayer meeting. And it's, you know, when you start having a prayer meeting, when you start seeking God, there's a humbling process that takes place within your life. First of all, there's that self-examination. We start examining ourselves. Not in the light of somebody else, but we start examining self-examination in the light of Jesus Christ. And whenever we examine ourselves, I don't care how good you may think you are or I may think I am, whenever we examine ourselves in the light of Jesus Christ, it is a humble experience. So even the uppity-up must have felt real hum- uh, humble, and then they started talking and and somehow started relationships because in all listen to the band of people that were there first of all you had Peter and I'm sure they were looking at Peter and one was thinking and saying this Peter man he's the one that denied Jesus who does he think he is all of a sudden he's acting spiritual but he denied Jesus and I heard him when he denied Jesus and then all of a sudden Thomas and who does Thomas think he is why he was a doubter and it is doubting Thomas he wouldn't believe. He's an unbeliever. He says, I won't believe it unless I see it with my own eyes and feel it with my own, and put my hands, my fingers on his hands. Then and only then will I believe it. See? And then you had other people as well. Then you had Nicodemus, a Pharisee, and you had all these. And then you had the brothers of Jesus, and maybe some of them were saying, I wonder if they're for real. Or I wonder if somebody's really spying on us so they could go and tell, and tell the other people so they could arrest us. You know, there must have been in the beginning some hesitance, hesitancy in in binding and getting together but they began to pray. They were in prayer and supplication and it tells us in verse 14 that all of a sudden they were in one accord. These all continued, hear what it says? In one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus. With his brethren. And then all of a sudden we find that Peter stands up, and this takes us to the second division that we're dealing with. Peter stands up, and he says, In those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number or the names together were about a hundred and twenty. They the Luke throws this in. And then he says, Peter speaks up and says, men and brethren. Now, Peter, again, took the leadership, and he was moved, and he was in prayer, remember. And men and brethren, he says, this scripture must need have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spoke before concerning Judas, which was a guide to them that took Jesus. Now, you notice what Peter is saying. Somehow, Peter was inspired and said, something is missing. First, they were there praying and in supplication, seeking God. But all of a sudden, Peter said, something is missing. There's still something that has to be done. And he got up and he says, there must be a replacement for Judas. And then he started thinking about Old Testament scripture. And somehow, Old Testament prophecy came to his mind. And he says, we need to replace Judas. So... Peter gets up and he speaks this out and then it says in verse 17 it says for he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry now how sad that is when I read that I get sad I feel sad listen to what he's saying he has to say which was a guide Judas concerning Judas which was a guide to them that took Jesus he was the one that guided the soldiers to take Jesus and then he says for he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. The saddest thing is to see another Christian fall. Someone that we used to worship, sit with and worship together. Someone that we used to break bread with. Someone that we used to fellowship with. Someone that had the very same experience that we have and all of a sudden to see them fall, and even be lost for eternity. So Peter here says, we have to, there must be a replacement. Judas, the one that guided them to Jesus, and he was also numbered with us, and had obtained part of this ministry. Now Luke here gives a footnote in verse 18, and he says, now this man purchased, and Luke is beginning to describe, and he says, now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst and all his bowels gushed out and it was known unto all the dwellers of Jerusalem in so much as the field is called in the proper tongue, al the field of blood. And then Peter says, for it is written, now you notice what Peter says, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate and no man dwell therein and his bishopric let another take and then he goes on. Now, one of the things that, Peter did was this that he felt very strongly that at that particular moment they needed to have their very first business meeting imagine that the very first church business meeting was conducted in the upper room before that they didn't have anything like that but all of a sudden as they're up in the upper room uh Peter senses the need we must replace Judas Judas must be replaced And he's backing it up with Scripture. It's not just something that is coming from him, but Peter is using Scripture and referring to Old Testament Scripture why they needed to replace Judas. Now, the Old Testament Scripture that Peter refers to is Psalms. You could write it down if you like. You don't have to turn to it, but write it down. Psalms 55, 23. Psalms 69, 25. And then also Psalms 109 and verse 8. These are the Psalms that Peter is referring to. Now, there's a difference of opinion when it comes to the replacement of the traitor Judas. A difference of opinion. You take a look at some of those commentary, it blows your mind. You read one commentary and it says Peter was doing it according to God's will. You get another commentary, you begin to read, and you find another commentator says, Peter, he acted, he acted uh, uh, prematurely. It, it wasn't God's will to replace Judas at that particular time, but he, God had in mind the Apostle Paul. And he had in mind Saul. And later you find that, and it's true, later you find that God raises up Saul of Tarsus and... Paul was on the road to Damascus and all of a sudden God gets the hold of him and raises him up and all of a sudden Saul calls himself an Apostle of Jesus Christ and he goes out and does great exploits for God. One of the things we find is that you don't find any more record of the guy that was chosen. The one that was chosen, the one that they elected, and, or the one that was chosen that they claim was chosen by God, you don't have any more record of him But the only record you have from that point on is you have the record of the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Paul doing great, powerful exploits for God. So, that brings me to this. There are some people that say that he acted prematurely. Other people say that it was Paul that they should have chosen. And other people say that, no, he acted according to the will of God. They say, well, where does brother say anything? You want to know what I think? Okay. Are you with me? Smile. Okay. You're with me. Well, here's what I think. Somehow, in in verse 14, I I, I keep on going back to verse 14, and I say, did he act prematurely, or was he acting according to God's plan? Now, in, in verse 14, listen to what it says. These all continue with what? With what? Say it. In one accord and what? Prayer and supplication. So what Peter did, he did it after he had been praying. He had been praying. He had been in prayer and supplication before God. Not only did he act and begin to move, but also he also gave a, 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 a foundation he also gave a foundation and he also, he also brought out the foundation of what was the foundation of why he was moving. What he, what he was doing. And he brings out scripture and he brings out the Old Testament scripture. So he also gives the foundation of what he's, what he's basing this move on. So it's not something that's just coming from him, but he's also referring to Old Testament scripture as well. And then there may be some that say well you never hear about this guy again but if you really take a look at the book of acts it says it says the acts of the apostle but it shouldn't be it shouldn't even be titled the acts of the apostles because right after chapter two you don't hear about them anymore <laughs> the only one you see after that is peter and then you see a few others. You see, uh, you see the other ones that are coming up, Barnabas, and you see Paul, and you see all those people that God raises up in the church, but you don't see too much of the 11 anymore. Or of the 12, even after they add this other apostle and they make him an apostle, you don't see them no more, but you see the church in action. So if I would retitle the book of Acts, instead of calling it the Acts of the Apostle, I would call it the Acts of the Holy Ghost. Because what you see through the book of Acts, you see the Holy Ghost moving over and over and over again, you see. So again, it's not grounds enough to say that, well, because this guy is not mentioned again, because a lot of the other disciples are not mentioned. So I believe that somehow Peter must have been inspired, not only inspired by God, but also he had grounds and he, and he had scripture to base what he was doing. On, the, on Old Testament Scripture. Okay, now let's go to number three. Now, in number three, we find the selection. First, we dealt with the suicide. In fact, even before we go to selection, let me just go into suicide. One more thing I want to mention. Now, the suicide, it was a horrible death that he experienced. A horrible, horrible death. You see, whenever you get out of the will of God, you're headed for trouble. One of the things about Judas... In the first place, I don't think Judas was ever saved. He was with Christ. He was among the disciples. But this guy was never saved. This mentioned even to Judas, What you have to do, do it now. And then he was even prophesied that he was the son of prediction. So even though he was involved with the disciples... Even though he walked with Jesus and he heard the words of Jesus, this man still did not have an experience with Christ. His heart, bodily he may have been there, but his heart was far from God. And you know that that very easily could happen to us in church. You know that it's not just good enough coming to church. Some of you come to church and, and you think it's like going to the Catholic church. And they say, you're meddling, brother. Okay. What did you do when you went to the Catholic Church? You know what I used to do? I used to go to, when I was in jail, it was Ash Wednesday. So in jail, I say, man, I'm going to get out and go get my ashes. You know, and I go over there and they give me my ashes and I get my ashes, you know. Or there's sometimes when it's communion. What I used to think about in jail, I say, I'll eat. And not only will I eat in the mess hall, but then those that are supposed to take communion are not supposed to eat so I'll go and I'll go to communion and then I'll eat again so I went to church I went through the whole procedure and now down over there they put the wafer now I'm not putting down I'm not you know I'm not putting down the religion no, I don't want to put you know, I'm not saying I'm just giving you the facts and I would get up and I would walk out and I would be the same I would be the same What I'm trying to say is this. It's not only the Catholic Church. The very same way the Catholic Church does not change anybody, our church does not change anybody. If you think that just by coming in here, you, you sit down and you say, well, I belong to Victory Outreach. Pastor Sonny's my pastor. Because I go on Sunday morning and I sit down and I listen to him speak. And you know there are people that possibly are coming in here and sitting down. And you hear me speak. And you walk out. And you continue the same way of living. You know, it won't have, it won't have any effect unless you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Unless Jesus becomes a reality in your life. Your life is not going to change. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. It is Jesus that changes our lives. So Judas, even though he was around Jesus and around the disciples, his heart was not right with God. You see? And because of that, sooner or later, sooner or later, the Bible says your sins will find you out. You can't be an undercover Christian for too long. Sooner or later, your sins will find you out. So with Judas, all of a sudden, even after he did what he did, he took the money. It says in the Gospels that he took the money that they gave him. See, and then he got so, he got so convicted. He was convicted. He got depressed after he did what he did. And it wasn't because he was a Christian. The reason why he got depressed is because he knew he did something wrong. How many know that even sinners get depressed when they do something wrong, get convicted when they do something wrong? So he took the money and he threw it at the feet of Jesus. Uh, not the feet of Jesus, the feet of the, of the Pharisees. And then the Pharisees took the money and the Pharisees, what they did, is they bought a field, a potter's field with the money of Judas. And it tells us, over here in the, in the Gospels, it tells us that Judas hanged himself. Over here is giving a description. It tells us that the man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity. And it says, falling headlong, he burst asunder in the mist and all his bowels ugh, gushed out. What actually happened to him is that he hung himself and the rope broke. <laughs> After he hung himself, the rope broke and he fell down and his, his, all his bowels gushed out. It was a horrible, horrible, horrible death, the death of Judas. And it's described here. And the reason why is because instead of being faithful, he was unfaithful. Instead of coming into an experience with Christ, he didn't come into an experience with Christ. He had an opportunity, but instead of taking advantage of the opportunity, he went the opposite way. You see, I believe that Judas had the opportunity to get saved. Judas had the opportunity, like Peter and anybody else, to get saved, but instead, he refused to accept Christ. He went the opposite way, and that was his. Uh, his. Uh, you find that his destination was one that was horrible. Finally, his. Uh, at the end, it was a horrible death that he experienced. Okay, now in the selection of the disciples, it tells us over here. In the beginning, it says in verse 21. Wherefore of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. Now, Peter felt we have to fill this vacancy and we have, somebody has to take Judas' place. So there were requirements and he said they have to follow certain requirements. And there were the requirements that are brought out here, two requirements Peter brings out, that from the baptism of John, the people that were going to be able to qualify to be a candidate for the apostleship had to have two requirements. Number one, they needed to be from the baptism of John, be there from the baptism of John. And also they needed to be a witness of the resurrection of Jesus. Those were the two requirements. And out of that, out of all those people, there were two that actually qualified. And it tells us over here in verse 23, and they appointed two. Joseph called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. Only two. And then it says over here, and they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knoweth the hearts of all men, show whither of these two thou hast chosen that he may take part of the ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell and that he may go to his own place. You notice what it says when he, that he may go to his own place? It's talking about that Judas went to his own place and it's talking about that Judas went actually to hell. And then it says, and they gave forth their lots and the lot fell upon Matthias and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Now I want you to notice something First of all, they drew lots. And the way that they did the lots, this is not something that we don't find. This is the last time we find that they did anything like that. But this is something that was common in the Old Testament. The way that they found the will of God and the way that the will of God was established, many times they drew lots. Now, this is the last time... In this chapter is the last time that we ever find this again in the New Testament because in chapter 2, the Holy Ghost takes over and the Holy Ghost comes in. And we come into the dispensation of the Holy Ghost. But what he is doing here is not something that's uncommon, but it was something that was done in the Old Testament. What they did is they got a hold, they got some stones. This is what they did many times. They would get some stones, put the name. Of, uh, put the name of Matthias and then also put the, the other name of the other fellow that also uh, was uh, a candidate they would put his name and then they would put it in a bottle or a jar and this is what they would do then they would go ahead and pray and after they would pray then they would take it and shake it and then they throw it out and whichever one came out first that was the one that they felt that God had chosen so Matthias Matthias came out. Now you say, wow, that's pretty heavy, isn't it? Well, I'll tell you one of the things that they did. You notice what they did first of all? It says over here in verse 24 that they prayed. Hear that. They prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knoweth the hearts of all men. You notice what it says? Knows the heart of all men. Show whether of these two thou hast chosen. You notice what he said over here? It is God that knows the hearts of all men. You know, I, I, I can't see your heart. But God is able to see your heart. And God is the one that examines us. And he knows exactly where we are as far as our hearts are concerned. So they said, we can't choose. But you are the one that knows all the hearts of men. And God, you are the one that's going to do the choosing. So when Matthias came out, they said, well, it's according... To the will of God. That brings me to this. That God always does the choosing in the selection of his men. And selection of his people. Even you here this morning. It's not that you chose to come to Victory Outreach. It's not that you chose to come to God. But even before you chose to come to God. God chose you. God chose you. God moved upon your life. God began to deal with you. Because God chose you, finally you accepted and you came to Him. It is God always that does the choosing. And even for our ministry, we're not to choose our own ministry. God is the one that chooses us and God is the one that places us. God places us in the body where He wants us to be. And we need to be faithful. We need to be satisfied. We need to be consistent in the place that God has placed us. There are some that He put as pastors, some that He'll put as evangelists, some that He'll put and give various kinds of ministries within the church and within the body. And if we're moving according accordance in a- along with the divine will of God, then we find our place within the body and there is peace and happiness when we're in the will of God. You never find peace or happiness unless you come in accordance with God's divine will for your life. So it is God that does the choosing. It was God that chose Matthias because they prayed. They said, God, we can't choose. You know the hearts. Which one of these two men do you want to choose? And then God was the one that did the choosing. And we find this throughout the entire Bible. And the beautiful thing about it is that God always chooses unlikely people. There are many people that I would have never chosen, man, but God chooses them. I would have never chosen Nikki Cruz. I've told Nikki that Kenny Rice, Nikki, I would have never chosen you, man. But God chose him. Nikki says, He chose me. He chose me. And here he goes as an ambassador with thousands and thousands of people gathering to hear him. And the Holy Ghost moving and people coming up and getting saved. God chose me for this ministry. It's not me that did the choosing. I've been here all this time because it was God that chose me. And I remember the day that God chose me. And I remember the day He called me by my name. I remember the days that I've separated you for this work and separated you for this ministry. And all I've had to do was be faithful to the choosing and the selection of God. See, we're not self appointed. This is why there should not be any politicking within the church, any lobbying. And politicking within the kingdom of God. And what really gets me, man, gets me really spiritually upset is when I see I see these some of these some pastors, you know, some pastors they, they have this some places have this system of election and, and, and they put the, and, and they're always putting their name in another church. They could be pastoring a church and they're putting their name in another church because the other church pays more money. You know what the Bible calls that? Hirelings. The other church pays more money, so I put my name in that church and I'm getting up in the world. They don't even consider for a moment, what does God want me? Or is it the will of God for me to be there? Or is it the will of God for me to stay here? And there are many, many ministers like that today that instead of waiting for God to open up the door, they're opening up their own doors. Instead of waiting for God to make a way, they're making their own way. And this is why we don't see the revival and the the moving of the spirit the way we would like to see it. Because instead of being in the spirit, there are many people that are in the flesh. But over here we find that it is God that does the choosing. It is God who does the selection. It is God who selects us to be what God wants us to be. And he calls unlikely people. Look at Moses. Moses, you can write it down in Exodus chapter 3. You don't have to open it up, but look in it. write it down. Exodus chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. And also Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. We find with Moses he was keeping the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, in the backside of the desert. He'd been a fugitive for 40 years when God called him. And God says to him, come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh that thou may bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And then Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And then in chapter 4, verse 1, And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord has not appeared unto thee. You see, when you look at yourself, there's a sense of insufficiency. When we look at the task, that God has given unto us, we feel that we could never accomplish, it is true in ourselves, we could never accomplish what God has called us to do and what God has called us to be. Look at Gideon in Judges chapter 6 and verse 15 and 16. Threshing weed and hiding from the Mennonites, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and told him, The Lord is with thee, and he calls him, Thou mighty man of valor. Gideon says, who are you talking about? Are you talking about me? You know, he says, that mighty man of valor. And then all of a sudden we find that he replied to the Lord and it says, O oh Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor and the poorest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. See, when Gideon looked at himself, he says, I don't have anything to offer. But God looked at him, and when God looked at him, God says, You are a mighty man of valor. When I get through with you, you're going to be that mighty man of valor that I want you to be. And this is exactly with us. You know, the devil slaps you around. He says, I can't make it. I can't this, and I can't that. We've got to get that I can't word out of our vocabulary. God, we have to look at ourselves the way God looks at us. When we look at ourselves in our own eyes, it's true. We don't qualify. When we look at ourselves, we're frail and insufficient to be able to accomplish and even live the Christian life. Even to live a victorious Christian life is impossible for us to do it in our own willpower and by our own strength. But when we see Jesus, you say, I go beyond my own capabilities, but I see Jesus. And it's Jesus in me that has equipped me to be able to do whatever God has called me to do. We also have the story of Jeremiah and then also Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, you can write it down. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, Paul tells Timothy to stir up the gift of God within him For God has not given him a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And you know, God's call is always clear and definite and unmistakable. You know, if Jesus wants to speak to us, God wants to speak to us. The way that I'm speaking to you, God wants to speak to you. He wants to make it clear, definite, unmistakable. I want you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. I want to give you a biblical example. And we're bringing this message to a close this morning. But Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 and 38. Listen to this, what it says here. These are the words of Jesus. When you have it, tell me amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 and 38. You have it? Jesus said, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. All right? Now, what does he say? Pray, say, pray ye therefore the what? That he will do what? Send forth laborers unto the harvest. Who's the one that sends out the laborers? It is the Lord of the harvest. He is the Lord of the harvest, and the Lord of the harvest is the one that raises up, chooses, and sends forth laborers to the harvest field. And you know, it's not the pastor. There's some people come to me, and they get mad at me because I don't give them position. Who am I to give them position? And you know, and sometimes, you know, I'm a nice guy, you know what I'm talking about. I try to be a nice guy. And I get some guys come up to me and they say, Brother Sonny, Brother Sonny, I want you to know. And they're trying to convince me that they're called of God. So I say, I believe it. I believe it. Well, I got to go out. I got to go out and preach. You got to just turn me loose. So I says, okay, you're loose. Go, you know. No, no, but I, I, I need you to open the doors for me. I said, well, what do you you want me to do? He said, you, you, brother son, you have influence. You could help me, man. Help me. Don't you see the desire that I have? I'm to preach the gospel. I will die. Okay, okay. What do, you, what, what do you want me to do? I want you to write a letter for me. In fact, I've even wrote the letter. I just want you to sign it. Okay, let me look at the letter okay, to whom may concern, so-and-so is, you know, so-and-so is an anointed man, a God, blah blah, 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 I said, well, okay, okay, I'll, I'll flow with you. I'll flow, okay, come on, I'll sign it. okay. And now I need you to give me all the addresses of all the Victory Outreach pastors. All right, here's the addresses of all the, I'm a nice guy, here's the addresses of all the Victory Outreach pastors. And they get the, they start sending letters to all Victory Outreach pastors. This has happened. And then they say, Brother Sonny told me to write to you, you know. And then, they, and I'll be calling, and Brother Sonny told me. And you know what they do? They may have him once in their church. But if that man, and it's happened in cases where that man has not been chosen of God, when you are not chosen of God I don't care how many letters I send, the doors are not going to open because it is God that chooses his men. It is God that chooses his servant. It is God that opens up the doors. It is God that anoints us to be able to accomplish what he has called us to do. And the anointing that God gives us is what makes a way and opens up the doors. The doors will always open for someone that is ordained and anointed of God for a ministry in which God has called them. You don't have to be lobbying. You don't have to be politicking. All you got to do is just be faithful to God. And God will give you the desires of your heart. He'll go before you and he'll open up the doors. So it is God. Pray ye what? The church is to pray what? Pray ye, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers to the harvest. And then in Acts chapter 13, open to that. Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3. And this is tremendous. And I, I think that we're like the Church of Antioch. It's, we, we, we resemble what you're going to be reading here right now. Acts chapter 13. Okay, when you have it, tell me amen. Acts Chapter 13, verses 2 and 3. You have it? I want everybody to have it. You have it? Okay, listen to what it says. And this is the church of Antioch. And as they ministered unto the Lord and fasted. Hear that? Now this is a powerful church. What is the church supposed to do? Minister unto the Lord and fasted. Then what happened? Who said what? The what? The Holy Ghost did what? The Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And then they have fasted and prayed. When they have fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and they send them out or send them away. Now, you notice over here what it says? They church of Antioch it's just like what we do in the conferences on Friday night what is it we do on Friday night we lay hands on them and then we send them out for the people that we lay hands on and send out on Friday night are people already that God has chosen it's not the pastor that has chosen them but it is God that has chosen them and over here it says they were ministering unto the Lord fasting. What does it mean, ministering unto the Lord? You know what ministering unto the Lord is? How do you minister unto the Lord? I'll tell you for sure, it's not, Lord, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me gimme this, give me that, give me the other thing. <laughs> that, that's not real ministering unto You know what ministering unto the Lord? Minister, they were ministering unto the Lord, saying, ministering unto the Lord, Lord, you're so precious. Hallelujah. You're so wonderful. You're so faithful glory to God, glory to Jesus in the highest. All of them, just in in, in, in one accord, oh, we praise you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We magnify your name. And you can imagine the atmosphere as they're ministering unto We All the time, sometimes we want God to be ministering to us, but we should be ministering unto the Lord. And as they ministered unto the Lord and fasted, then all of a sudden, who spoke? The Holy Ghost spoke. Now, with us today, you know, you say, Holy Ghost speaks. And how many of us uh, have ever heard the Holy Ghost speak? There's not too many people sometimes. There's a lot of people that don't even, have never even heard the Holy Spirit speak. But the Holy Spirit speaks. And the Holy Spirit spoke in the congregation and said not only did he say i want these people to go but he also called them by name see the holy spirit could be specific and this is what you're going to find in the book of acts that the holy spirit is very specific and the holy spirit wants to energize the church and wants to energize the believers and the holy ghost said separate me i want you to separate barnabas and saul for the work wherewith I have called them and then the church obediently they fasted and prayed laid their hands on them and they launched them out just like we have done to so many others that have gone out into foreign countries into other cities just obeying the call of God upon their lives so he even called them by name they were not self-appointed ministers Self-appointed workers, but they were God-appointed. God had separated them and selected them and appointed them to do the work that he had called them to do. And then last of all, not only does God select us, first, he selects the unlikely, you know. Secondly, he doesn't, he also, call, his call is very definite and clear, he even calls us by name. But also, number three, God also equips those he calls. He equips us. And listen to what it says in Luke chapter 24. Open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24 and verse 49. What does it say in Luke chapter 24 verse 49? When you have it, tell me amen. It says, Behold, you have it? Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. What does he say? But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Also Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And Jesus said, in Acts chapter 1, that's the same uh, chapter that we're dealing with, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And what does it say? Jesus said, But ye shall what? But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in where? Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the world. And this is exactly what Jesus was doing with the disciples. He said to them, I want you to go up into the upper room. Even after they had their first business meeting and the selection was made, he says, I want you to wait there. I, I have chosen the proper men. I have given you the proper message. But now you need the power to be able to accomplish what I have called you to do. You're not going to be able to do it on your own and the reason why we have some in the church that instead of growing spiritually they're always falling and they can't seem to live a victorious life is because you're trying to do it in the energy of the flesh and God has never intended for his people to live the Christian life in the energy of the flesh it is not by might nor by power but by my spirit Sayeth the Lord of you have a lot of knowledge, but you wait. You wait. That knowledge is not going to do it. You get up into that upper room and you wait there until you receive the power from on high. And once you receive the power from on high, then you're really going to understand my message. Then you're really going to understand my will. Then you're really going to understand my purposes. And you are going to be witnesses unto me, not only in your own city, Jerusalem and Judea, but also Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the world. What I have in mind for you is a God-sized plan. I have a big plan, a big job, a big mandate for you. And it's going to take the power of the Holy Spirit within your life. And you know what they did? They went imagine those apostles and they waited and they said as long as it takes I'm not gonna move out of here and I'm gonna wait until I receive the power from on high and you'll find out next week in chapter 2 when they received the power from on high that was the birth of the church and miracles begin to take place. And I'll tell you, it is the Holy Ghost that gives you the appetite for the Word of God. If you don't pray, you, you won't even want to hear me. You know, you know, even hearing whenever, even this morning, if you're not prayed up and you don't come in here praying, you're not praying, you're not seeking God, when I talk about the Word, you get sleepy. That's the way it is because you don't have an appetite for the Word. The flesh does not have an appetite. For the word of God. The word of God is spiritual. You know what you'll have an appetite for? Jokes. You know. You could be a comedian up here, throw a few jokes. Ha ah, ah, ha ah, there you go. Ah, wasn't that a beautiful service? But what'd you get out of it, huh? What'd you get out of it? It's this that's going to transform you. It is God's word that's going to transform you. There's no shortcuts in the kingdom of God. It is God's word. Getting God's word inside of you will make all the difference within your life. And it's God's word also and the Holy Spirit moving and energized and powered by the Holy Spirit. There's a growing process that takes place. And we continue to grow and grow and grow and become a people and become the church that God wants us to be an explosive church that is able to explode any city and is able to bring revival not only to a city, but bring revival around the world. I want you to stand with me this morning. Glory to God. Hallelujah. We pray that this message has encouraged you to grow in your walk with God. To hear more messages, visit www.visionintlstore.com Thank you for listening. God bless you.